Welcome again, everybody, to another episode of the Shop Notes Podcast. This is episode number 57. I'm your host, Phil Huber, joined by Logan Whitmer and John Doyle, as always. Today's episode is Start at the Finish, or Finish to Start. We're going to talk about finishing and a variety of other topics, so I hope you enjoy the show. This episode of the Shop Notes Podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com. I see someone's uh, table saw cart got painted. Dang right it did. Becky Kralichek rode me hard enough to get it in gear and start finishing right. it so she's been Especially on me since to she's get calling that you film. out on facebook now too i know yeah so i yeah, know the woodsmith name i know right i know that's right and then uh john had drawers in there yep was that the top for something too for mirrors or was that somebody um, else no that's uh i think it's the top for that uh coffee table that steve johnson's building oh yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. okay so some actual real work is is still going on here. So what you're telling me is that the finish room has more than just personal projects. Right, right. Some business projects. Well, right. yeah. The table saw cart is completely for business. I mean, right. Well, that's true. Kind of. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. going to live right here, so. Yeah, and those drawers are for none of your business, so. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's for none of you. Yeah. All right, so... Before we get to the main topic for today, I thought we'd dig a little dive into, um, I don't know, the odd things that you think about when you're working on a woodworking project. Yep. Okay. This could go really Uh, deep. Right. So, you know, I don't remember if it was last episode or two episodes ago, we were talking about tool buying, uh, techniques, you know, what kind of limits you put on yourself. And I think... This is something that kind of came to me was how you use your tools depends a lot on how you perceive them, like what you can, you know, in terms of what you can do with them. Okay. You know, for, for example, one of my favorite power tools is bandsaw. Sure. And I think there's a lot of folk that look at a bandsaw as essentially a jacked up stationary jigsaw. (laughs) John's raising his hand for everybody uh, listening. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But there's a lot more that you can do with a bandsaw, in my personal opinion. And it depends on how you, what you view that tool as. Along those same lines, I feel like there are also certain tools that just go together. Yeah. You know, like peanut butter and jelly or Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a bandsaw and a thickness planer uh, walk through the park holding hands. See, that's not the two tools I would pair together. But yeah. that's just me. I would I'd put a bandsaw with a lathe. See? So And yeah, again, it's about sure. it's about conception. Exactly. On how you conceive these tools and what they're used for. Because to me, 
I think of it as, to me, the bandsaw is the thicknessing tool and the planer is the surfacing tool. Okay. And certainly in our shop where it's a communal shop and someone else is paying for the blades, you know, we've taken eight quarter stock and ground it down to three quarter for projects for the magazine just to get smooth, flat, straight, square, all that kind of stuff. Does some of this come from being thrifty though and, and resawing to save material? Uh, yes, but I think I'm going to say that it goes back to how you conceive what a tool can do. Sure. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, because for the longest time, the guys that were in the shop just used a planer to grind down everything, Mm -hmm. you know, turn it all chips. When, uh, Dana Myers came as shop craftsman a number of years ago, he made deliberate choices when he needed thinner material that he would resaw at first and then go to the planer yeah. rather than, you know, just, you know, blowing that all away into, yeah. into shavings and chips, you know? Well, and to be fair, it's a whole lot easier to replace a bandsaw blade than it is to change the knives on a planer. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> you might as well, you might as well get that waste out of the way with a thing that's easier to fix when it breaks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know, I found that it's a lot easier not to, uh, change out the dust collector dust collector barrel as often. Yeah, right. By resawing rather than just turning it all into chips, like you said. So usually, what I do is I'll do a bunch of stuff on the planer, and then before I leave, I'll take a couple of handfuls of some walnut shavings that I have, just throw them on <laughs> oh, top. Mm-hmm. Logan uh, gets blamed for it, and yeah, I'm out. That's true. It's a setup. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> fair. That's. I mean, it's fair. Yeah. It's fair. yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, along those lines, I'd be interested to know what either you guys or viewers would think are like two tools that kind of are hand in glove that, you know, in order to maximize the use of one, it's a good idea to have the other one with you. Uh, and. Your point exactly, and that's something I never would have thought of, bandsaw and lathe, yeah. just because I don't turn that often. Yeah, well, and yeah. see, that's I, – I could go, like, bandsaw and lathe, or I could go chainsaw and lathe. Um, sure. Just because you need one or the other to turn a – I mean, not necessarily to turn a log into a turn project, but something like that. In my shop, I would say um, my – I'm going to put my shooting board as a tool category. So my low angle jack and my shooting board, you can't have one without the other. I can't in my shop. Like that's something I have started doing recently is shooting everything with my shooting, with my, with my shooting plane, with my low angle jack. Uh, And it's amazing. Like it's amazing how well a good shooting board in a good hand plane, a good sharp hand plane can really clean up and, accurately square up and trim parts to length so all right that's fair yeah Mm -hmm. cool um for me it's definitely the jointer and planer because it's like if you're going if you're going to use rough lumber and you're going to go to all the trouble to flatten it and you know get it to thickness you kind of need both of those otherwise you can just buy you know the pre-milled stuff off the shelf and 
because really with just a, a planer, I mean, you're not, it's not flattening anything. It's not preventing it from being warped or cupped or any of that. So kind of need both. Okay. That's just what I found. So what, what happens when a jointer and a planer get locked in quarantine together and all of a sudden you come out with something like our <laughs> Rikon? That's a combo machine. Jointer, planer. Yeah. Right. Now it's just one So tool. what goes with that? A, yeah. yeah. The unholy offspring. Yeah. Then you mix it. Then a dust collector yeah. goes with it. Yeah. That's what, that's what <laughs> goes with it. Right. Uh. And then I was talking to you guys earlier today about uh, – you know, Logan and I are trying to semi-frantically finish a couple of projects before a self-imposed deadline of next week. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Yeah. Ten oh, days crap. away, dude. Okay. Okay. February twentieth. So, is that what your deadline was? Yes. That's, yes. So, one of the things that I've learned about myself is I get to a certain point where a project is almost done and mentally I start getting the shakes to like want to start <laughs> one to five other projects you know that I start flipping yeah. through my my shop notebook to see about other projects that are kind of on the list or all of a sudden I'm stopping to gaze a little bit at my lumber rack or you know something where it's like hey I was going to start on Mm-hmm. because I don't, and I'm trying to figure out like why that is, is it psychological that I don't really want the project to be over or is it that I know I'm going to be done. So I might as well get started on something else. So right. I mentally checked out of it or. Well, so here's what I think. I think that at least for me, this might not be for everybody, but for me, starting a project is one of the funnest parts of it. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like that beginning prep planning. I love all that. So that's where I could see that. Like just the, the endless possibilities of how this project could go, how it could turn out. Like, I love that wonderment you get. Yeah. Uh, so that's where I would say I get excited to start another project as soon as something's wrapping up because finish lines in sight. And I know I get to jump right back in. Yeah. And a project you haven't started yet is perfect. Yeah, right. yeah, because you have no obligation. <laughs> well, yeah, and you haven't hosed up anything yet on it either. That's so. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and usually the stuff that you're conceptualizing doesn't have a deadline. It's just kind of a thought, and <laughs> you know, you can yep. start it and whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. So all that being said is I'm looking pretty good on how my project is finishing up here and I'm excited about seeing it done. Yeah. Also to the point that just on the other end of the bench from where John is talking right now, I have parts for the next project gluing up. Mm -hmm. All right. So jumping in head first. All right. Head first or feet first. Christmas 2021. Let's go. <laughs> that one's more like birthday 2021. Mm. So, all right. Although probably not a bad idea to start thinking about Christmas ideas. So, mm-hmm. Logan Sacrifice. says Santa shoots an elf at some point here. Yep. <laughs> okay. So our main topic for today's episode is finishing, and it's something I don't think we've talked about in a while. But 
is always something good to think about because I feel like as woodworkers, most of us probably progress through a similar path of being scared to death about finishing, finding one type of finish that offers pretty foolproof application, decent enough results, and that becomes our go-to finish for years and years until we wanna try something else or see something else. And then we've dorked up a couple of projects in learning about it and then grow from there. Yeah. Well, and so when, when I had suggested this topic, it was for a very particular reason. Oh yeah. And it was to get an answer to a question. So it was very selfish. Okay. Um, because I am working on my self-imposed deadline, uh, which I think we'll talk about in the shop update in a little bit and where we're sitting. Right. But as I'm looking at finishing, is it weird? So, yeah, I think you're right. I think everybody kind of gets into their their routine finish, right? So, like, we have a, a finish we've used in the past on projects. It works well. It looks good. Let's keep using that. But I think different projects kind of require different finishes or can require different finishes, depending on what your standard is. Okay. Uh, in this example, I'm building nightstands. They are going next to a sleigh bed that I built a number of years ago that was finished with some general finishes, Sela cell, and then I hit it with spray lacquer. Okay. Durable. Easy to repair, spray lacquer melts into itself, it burns into itself, easy to touch up, um, and it looks pretty good, right? However, with this recent uh, dining room table I built, my initial finish I did on that was just a straight hot, like smoking hot linseed oil bath, basically. Uh, wiped that off, um, and then I ended up putting some wipe on poly on it. Um, just because of, of heat marks I was getting and stuff on the top. But I'm thinking these nightstands are like the perfect application for that linseed oil. I, we, my wife and I aren't like, I know some people are, you know, have a glass of water in your nightstand every night or a bottle of water or whatever. We don't do that necessarily. So I'm not concerned about water rings. I'm not concerned about marks. I'm wondering if this isn't the right application for that finish. But my question is, does that look weird then? If you have two projects sitting next to each other i i mean this basically ends up being a bedroom set does it look weird having a different finish on the nightstands versus the bed what do you guys think hmm. yes no, okay just kidding. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> no no i think i don't know i, I mean, mean it would have to the be spray told... lacquer is easier yeah so no i i don't unless like the sheen is way different or the color is way different. It's probably fine and not very noticeable, I would think. But Yeah, I think just... you're probably going to be fine with a different okay. finish because, like John said, I think the sheen is probably going to be the bigger issue and you'll probably end up with a very similar sheen anyway. Yeah, and I think I think so too. Um, the, the more noticeable, in my opinion, might be uh, the color difference because that bed is now th almost three years old. Um, 
it's lightened quite a bit yeah. because walnut gets lighter with age. So these are going to be much darker, I think. Um, but yeah, so. But even then, note, like it's only guys... going to be that way for a few years, and then those will even out. Exactly. Those will lighten up, and they will. Yeah, you know, they'll kind so, of blend together. On that note, have have you guys ever put a finish on that just like is amazing to? feel because that's the way i feel with this linseed oil finish like you don't make it weird john don't no, make it I was weird about that what was it you turned something and like did a wax finish oh, on it oh, like yeah. you have it on your desk and we're always like ooh, it feels so nice and like you're rubbing, rubbing on your stick. cheek yeah I was thinking about that. Uh, no well yeah so like this and that's one of the things that i've heard uh in in uh, regards to the Thomas Mosier furniture is it's like you'll never touch a piece of furniture that feels like this because it goes through a very rigorous finishing process, which is basically standing up to 600 grit, right. a hot linseed oil finish, and then it's buffed out with steel wool and, and paste wax, basically. Mm -hmm. And it does. like the, It feels like wood still, but it feels like the nicest finished wood you'll ever touch. Uh, and I found that with this linseed oil finish um and i hate to say it but i think that is if if something isn't going to come in contact with water or food um the plates i guess hot plates it's kind of i think it's going to be my like go-to finish um i have i'll grab the bottle of it but i've been using uh the linseed oil from tried and true oh okay um and it works well uh but the other one that they have that they have out that I've been using as the top is this stuff. It is the tried and true varnish oil. So it's basically, uh, from my understanding, um, it is basically a linseed oil with uh, like pine resin in it. Okay. So the resins um, give you a little bit more build and finish sure. on top. Um, so I think that's kind of my go-to finish now. Um, okay. it looks great. Now I say that and I finished turning something this morning. I'll show you guys in a little bit. John saw it, but that I have a different, I have a different formula for turning, which there's no reason for, but I do. Um, but what do I guess? What are your guys's standard go-to foolproof finishes? Don't say spray booth. I was going to say spray booth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't For me, it's just like you, I get to the, like the end of the project. I'm getting kind of sick of it. And it's just like, just take it in a spray booth and spray it. <laughs> I want to be done. Yeah. It's with, it's foolproof. It's done. But like, I mean, like you were describing it, it it's indestructible per se or whatever, but yeah. it is not. I mean, it looks great, looks fine, whatever, but it's, it's not that hand rubbed finish, what you were describing of like how it looks and feels. Yeah. I mean, it's done, it's finished, but it's not like, you know, fine, fine furniture look type of thing. Yeah. I mean, so. and, and I think you have, you have two different things. How does it look and how does it feel? Um, sure. Because yeah, the, the spray lacquer, which when we're talking about taking it in the spray booth, we have a large spray booth in our shop at, at the office that we always have a pressure pot full of pre-catalyzed lacquer. And it sprays on nice, sprays on even, you know, two or three coats, you get a good build. It gives great color to almost everything. Um, right. 
and it, I mean, and it dries really fast. Like you mm-hmm. can do three coats in two hours, basically. Yeah, yeah. we're really uh, spoiled. We are very spoiled. Um, but for most of us, that's not practical at home. Right. Right. So, uh, Phil, what's yours? Uh, I have a couple of projects in my house that. I have gotten the finish on that I was amazed with, and I'm not entirely sure how I got there. <laughs> yes, okay. Because, okay, one is a, uh, my neighbor had rescued a desk from a company that he worked for, and it was one of those old, I don't know if it was like a school desk, it was wood, oak, okay. uh, about the size of the Nimitz, aircraft carrier Um, yeah and somebody uh in a so the desk had seen some use kind of a standard office desk and uh had in the company where it had been somebody had glued down with like construction adhesive like a big particle board top on it to make it bigger and that had come off and had lifted some of the surface veneer in different places and it was stained and whatever and uh we picked it up got it from our neighbors and I rehabbed the whole desk and patched where the veneer had torn out. And the veneer was actually thick enough that I could go at it with a plane and level it. Oh, wow. You know, and I bleached some of the black rings that were on it and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And then um, I did, I was in a boiled linseed oil kick for a while. And again, heated up the boiled linseed oil and then rubbed it in uh, and probably did like six or eight coats or something like that spread out over time. And then there was a couple of times when I had it in the office here and I, it was warmish outside, probably in the eighties. And I pulled that top, set it outside on sawhorses in the sunshine. And now mm-hmm. that thing is like buttery smooth. It nice. looks great, feels delightful to touch, you know, and it's pretty hard too. So, and I don't remember sure. now, it's been a while. If I put like uh general finishes seal a cell over the top of it, just to give a little varnishiness to it, but yeah. it's got great color. Um, so that one, that was kind of cool. Boiled linseed oil projects since then have gotten nowhere near that cool for me. Not sure why, because I feel like application-wise, I've done a lot of the same thing. Uh, Then I had, uh, I have a side table that I made and a bed I made for one of my kids, both out of cherry. And I did water-based finish on them and got a super, super smooth finish on it. Like that bed is just amazing. It's got... It's got a little green and green flavor to it. And so rounded edges. Um, I took my time on things to make it look cool. Uh, But even now that thing's been in use for almost 10 years and it's in great shape. Finish feels nice. Whenever I'm in there, you know, you can just, you kind of end up rubbing your hand along surfaces and it has a great feel. And the same thing with the top of this one side table. Now I made another side table, exact same design, same material, 
same finishing schedule. The finish is okay, Not but it's yeah. not it's not what I would call super cool. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I did the same thing. I, I built my um, oldest son's crib, uh, God, eight years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago. And I did a Sam Maloof finish. I think Rockler sells like a Sam Maloof blend. It's like a, it's basically like a wiping varnish for right. the most part. It's a linseed oil varnish blend. Um, and that was the first big thing that I made out of walnuts. I mean, everything was sanded to 400 grit and I had that thing hung up by wire in my parents' basement, um, because it was the only dust free zone I had. I could let those fumes fly around, you know, with a pregnant wife in the house. You couldn't do that. Right. Uh, so I was wiping that and I, I had to have wiped on like 15 coats of that stuff. And it is just same thing. It's just silky smooth. And, it stood up pretty well. There's a couple gnaw marks from a child standing there gnawing on the edge. Right. Uh, he found the one spot without the edge protector on it. Um, but yeah, and then same thing. I've tried it on other things, and it just was lackluster. So I don't, I don't know what it was. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with humidity and temperature when you apply stuff, how fast it dries, what the what's going on. You know, are you are you doing outside while somebody's mowing their lawn? You know, yeah, that type of thing. I also haven't so. kept detailed notes on it either, and I get to the point, like John yeah. said, where you just kind of want the project done. So, true. You know, what kind of care did I take in surface prep, uh, in application? Yeah. I just don't remember. I just remember using the same products. It's the same materials. Yeah. You know, essentially the same table. Yeah. Uh, and it's one of those things where I think that's where you become a different where you level up as a woodworker is when you can do those things reliably instead of like, Oh, sure. cool. It turned out this time. What do you know? I'm going to go buy a lottery <laughs> yeah. ticket. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's some of this is what's, what's your foolproof finish that you have mastered, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's why I seem to, I, I feel myself leaning towards like the idiot proof finishes for one obvious reason <laughs> is <laughs> idiot. Finishing, uh, which I feel like some of those, a lot of the wiping stuff just is that way, right? Yeah. Like wiping polys, um, the linseed oil that you're basically flooding it on and wiping it off. Um, when I turn stuff that, I mean, I use a, uh, like a sanding sealer first. So just a thin, thin, thin shellac. And then I use, um, just some Danish oil, right? Right. Uh, and the Danish oil, you flood it on, let it sit for 15 minutes, wipe it off. Uh, it's about as easy as you can get, and it's almost impossible to get runs. You get you can get tacky areas if you don't get it all off, but right. it works well. Um, so, like, when it comes to finishing, if you're doing a clear finish or a... Even, even let's just, I, I don't stain anything personally, but, like, a stained finish... What do you guys, what's your guys' surface prep like? What do you usually sand up to? Do you vacuum? Do you tack cloth? What do you do? Mm. Uh, usually I'm, um, you know, doing a darker stain. So it's only sanding up to like 120, 150 at the most because you okay. get too much higher than that. And it just won't accept the stain and it, it won't darken yeah. up, it seems like. So I try to 
you know, not to sand it down too much and, you know, get all the dust off and, like you said, tap cloth, blow it off, whatever it takes, so. Sure. What about you, Phil? Uh, I usually, because most of my finishes, if I'm working at home, will be with water base. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'll go to probably 180 tops and then maybe like 220 on the end grain just so i don't have sure like a weird absorption or something like that where you end up getting such a stark color difference um but a lot of times i'm either somewhere in there i'm planing and or scraping you know that i'll yeah. hand plane a surface but then i'll you know i'm inevitably going to have some kind of plane tracks or something on that so i'll maybe sand those off with 220 or scrape it and then just even out the sheen yeah. with with something. And I know there's going to be people who are going to say like, you know, you've already planed it. Now you're pulling it back with sandpaper. Yeah, I get that, but I get an even surface. So yep. there you go. Um, so then I'll put on, you know, a coat or a coat of water-based finish and then sand that with, either 220 or 320 before putting on a second coat and then probably a third coat if it's going to be some kind of a wear surface. But, sure. you know, what I would call like secondary surfaces usually only get two. Yeah. See, and I'm, first of all, I'll say I hate water-based finishes. Um, j simply for the fact that there's, there's two reasons. One, yeah. <laughs> I hate how they raise the grain, which is funny because then I'll go before I finish sanding and I'll tell you in a minute, I raise the grain. <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> but I don't like that. They're, I, I like the color that oil finishes add. Sure. Um, there, there are some water finishes that are phenomenal. Um, we have the, or we did some video with old masters and their, um, masters armor. Right which is a water-based outdoor finish. That's like, that stuff's actually phenomenal, um, which would be great for an outdoor project. Not going to put it on my table necessarily, even though you could. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I know there's a lot of people that say, Oh, I stopped sanding at 180, uh, which I get if you're, if you're spraying or putting a film finish on, that only makes sense because the film finish is going to level out those scratches. Um, and it doesn't really matter. Um, for the stuff I've been doing as far as like the penetrating oils and the very, very thin hand rub stuff, I have been going up to 400 grit, um, on all surfaces. So the end grain, uh, I don't treat any differently than the face grain or edge grain. Um, so I've been hitting everything with 400 up to 400. So I power sand with, um, 180, 220, 320. And then yep. my final 400 grit is hand sanding with a block in the grain direction. It doesn't do anything. Probably not, but it makes me feel better about it. And then in, actually in between the, the 320 and 400, I usually will wipe down with a damp rag and then sand back with 320 again, yeah. just to eliminate any raised fibers. Um, and then I usually vacuum, um, don't tell my wife, but I use our, we have uh, like a shark vacuum that has a really nice soft bristle brush. I use that on, on whatever I'm vacuuming, uh, because the bristles are soft and they kind of pluck out the dust out of the, the grain. Sure. Um, 
if it's a turning, I'll just grab the air hose and blow it off. Um, but then, yeah, then I'm doing my finish. Uh, and linseed oil can smell. Um, the the tried and true stuff, it has no metallic dryers in it. It's just straight flax seed oil that has been heated up, like legitimately heated up uh, to to make it cure, uh, to polymerize. Yeah. Um, so I'll do that in my shop. If it is like a wiping poly or something like that, I usually will try to do that in the garage if I can. Sure. So if it's not super cold out, um, I don't know necessarily what uh, I have my Minwax wiping poly here. It doesn't necessarily say it needs to be above a certain temperature to dry, but usually if it's below 60, I'll try. I won't even try it. Yeah. So... Yeah, this doesn't say. So, it's just it's it's funny to me because oh yeah, so here we go. Uh, it's, well, it just says dry times are based on good ventilations, temperature of seventy seven degrees, and fifty percent humidity. So, uh, it is what it is. Um, but it's just it's funny because there are so many finishing products on available in the marketplace that it's very easy to get overwhelmed oh yeah like even you know myself who is i would consider myself more involved in the woodworking industry than most people i get like you kind of get that goggle eye look as you're like oh my god what do i need to buy you know so that's why i always try to stick with what i know yeah um but there are a few finishes that i'd like to try and i'd be interested to hear if you guys have any finishes that you want to try. I would, I have no desire to have a piece of furniture that's French polished in my house, but I'd love to French polish something. Oh once, yeah. Just to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Just to do it. I would like, I've heard a lot of stuff about Rubio Monocote. Uh, like hard wax um, oil or whatever it's called. Yeah. Whatever it is. It's, 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 it's a one coat finish. It comes with colors. You can do different colors on it. Um, there's a lot of people that really love Rubio Monaco. I, I have never tried it. And it's an interesting one on how you apply it because you basically flood the surface and then you basically squeegee it from my understanding to level it out. Yeah. Um, I never tried it, but I would like to try it at some point. I don't want to try it on a big project. So maybe like a magazine article project will try it. There you go. <laughs> like convince Mark and Chris to do it. Yes. <laughs> so... But are there any finishes that you guys haven't tried, you'd like to try, or John just wants to yeah. dump stuff in the spray booth and hit yeah. it with lacquer? No, yeah, I always see stuff like that that it's like I want to try, but not on one of my projects. It's just like <laughs> yeah, exactly. experiment with it or like try it out someplace. But it's like usually, just, yeah, like I said, I'm just trying to get stuff done if it's for me. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything that I would want to try. I mean, I feel like I've dabbled Phil, in a I bunch know, of stuff, but maybe yeah, I know you about use, the only thing would be shellac. Yeah, I, and I don't know that I've mastered shellac either. I use it a lot, and I put it on in pretty thin coats. Um, but again, it's one of those things where it's like, hey, this project turned out great. Hey, this one looks streaky and blotchy, and you know, and I just can't get it to. Mm -hmm. You know, it just doesn't feel like it's leveling, or you know, that I'm getting a smooth finish on it at all. Sure. Um, yeah. 
So that would be one where I would love to have develop a more confident competence with would be shellac. Uh, probably yeah, another say, one you, would be you... dye stains, you know, because sure. there was a guy, a designer here, Kent Welsh, who loved using dyes and he could do it reliably. And you read a bunch of stuff by all the finishing gurus and they're like, well, dyes are so much easier to use than, you know, oil stains and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, not in my experience. You know? <laughs> yeah. So I would like to know how to get success with a dye. That would be kind of interesting. Though I don't often alter the color of pieces, but, you know, sometimes sure. you're working with an existing piece you know, like that radio cabinet that I've been working on and I want to have colors of parts be related. Yeah. Well, I'd say you're, you're definitely better at shellac than I am because I always end up with like streaky, sticky messes and I just yuck, hate it. Yeah. There is a learning curve. I will but, give you that. Yeah. Yeah. I will say using the, uh, Dacron brushes seems to work best. Right for shellac i picked that up from you um and you're right dyes are an interesting one because it's it's an interesting way to add color uh and they're they're generally not as light fast as a stain right so they can fade over time but you can get a lot richer color um yeah you know i one of the one of the few things i've actually finished i've done some coloring with dyes as far as like bizarre colors you know like you're working on a quilted maple platter and you want to do a blue rim on it but you want it to be really streaky so you do black dye first sand it back yeah then you do blue dye and i've done some coloring like that that's really fun um i actually used ooh, it's really dusty uh this guy from what season 13 14 12? season 13 i think 12 oh my lord does it right? 12 yes maybe 12. i don't know uh I used a, I did use a die on this. This is a little uh, smartphone speaker we built on the show. I used a die on this, and it turned out beautiful. I love it. Cool. Um, but you know, I that's a good one. I would agree. I would like to mess around with dies more. Um, so interesting. Alcohol based though, not water based. Mm -mm. No, see, and that would be water based for me because every time I've tried to use, <laughs> we've done a couple of shop projects where we used like either an alcohol or a lacquer based die and it yeah. felt like you put it on it's instantly dry welcome to lap marks and streakiness yeah well you know uh dennis voles one of our uh former designers i picked up a good one from him it was on his uh i think this is east lake table he did oh yeah uh he applied the dye with a spray bottle alcohol dye with a spray bottle oh okay i'm like that's an interesting one it's basically spraying it yeah it gives you good even coverage. All right, not a bad idea. So cool. Yeah. So interesting. So that's all I had for finishing, but I just thought it was an interesting topic because it always people always have questions about it. Yeah, and I think what's part of what's problematic with finishing is it's really easy to get hung up on either the product itself or a specific application method or tools for application. Yeah. And to forget that it is a process. 
And the more you can think of it in terms of a big picture, the better success you're going to have, you know, like, yeah, um, for sure. I don't follow my own advice often, but if when I'm on top of a project and I start pre-finishing before I get to assembly, the project's going to look better, you know, and in the same vein, you can have a great looking finish and it's mostly because of your surface prep care and yeah. consideration than it is necessarily the product itself. Because I would, I would contend that you could take shellac, water-based finish, general, you know, some kind of a wipe-on poly and spray lacquer, put those projects side by side and you would have be hard pressed to know which one is which. Yeah, if you I think so. execu as long if as you executed, all, executed all of them with care, yeah, and the appropriate care for the project, you know, yeah. you know, because I'll go back to Kent Welsh, like he would use seal -a cell or Armor Seal or whatever, and his projects looked outstanding, the ones that he did, and I'm like, what mm -hmm. did you use on this? And he's like, just the Armor Seal, and it's like, really? He goes, yeah, but I actually care about putting it on, you know. So he, <laughs> put five or six coats yeah. on and have rubbed out each coat, you know, instead of just being like, well, I just got this off the bed belt sander, you know, so yeah. I'm going to yep. plop on a couple of coats of finish and wonder yeah. why it doesn't look great. Yeah. yeah. That's definitely the thing with finishing is like, you definitely have to take care and, you know, being very, um, careful in, in your finishes and not rushing it. Cause that's usually when you get runs and, um, yeah. you know, you, and build up in corners and it just, it, it makes it harder as you're doing it. it makes it take even longer than if you just would have taken care to, you know, let each coat dry, you know, pretty well and rub it out and sand it. And yeah. yeah. So I will say though, and I, I know I've said this before, I love painting projects <laughs> because I'll tell you what, not that, not that the table saw cart I just painted this week looked janky, but it was a conglomerate of whatever scraps we had around the shop. It had MDF, it had ash plywood, it had hardwood ash. I mean, it just had everything and it looked janky and the ash we had was kiln dried and it was super chippy so there's chip out and instead of mounting the top from underneath with screws i just drilled right through the top and filled them with spackle seal that thing with spray lacquer and then paint on some rust-oleum hammered finish with three coats with a spray gun and thing looks phenomenal right like i was super happy with how the paint laid on it it looks it looks good um and that's one one thing that sometimes you have an issue with as you are uh, painting hardwood is you can see the grain and ash has a very pronounced, hey, it's grain, yeah. you know. Uh, nope, you paint it on heavy enough, that grain disappears. So <laughs> I like it. And it's oil-based, so it doesn't raise the grain like latex would. So, All right, then. That's your yeah. finishing tip of the day. Paint it on yeah, heavy. Just paint everything with paint it on, paint on heavy with oil based paint. Paint it on, paint it on thick. Yeah. As long as you're spraying. If it's if it's if it's brushing or well, 
I'll spray paint every day of the week. All right. That's fair. Yeah. So should we do a project update on how we're doing? We should do a project update. All right. You start. I have a radio cabinet that I'm rehabbing for people who haven't been following along. And I'm to the point now where yesterday I rabbited the back legs and put a groove on the underside of the top to accept the back panel, which I did out of uh, some Riffson oak plywood that I had, but I have the grain running side to side. And then I painted it with uh, with the General Finishes milk paint. They're, it's like an acrylic matte finished paint uh, in white, because I wanted to just lighten up the inside of the cabinet. Uh, and I installed that this morning and it looks outstanding. So what I'm down to now is I put a, a second coat of stain on the door edging that I put on. So door edging and then the back panels of the door, back sides of the door, I guess, to make it match the kind of the aged cherryish walnutty color that the rest of the case is. So. Once I have the that done, probably tomorrow or Friday, I'll put on a few coats of finish on those edging pieces and those will be ready. Uh, I did all the fitting and installing, so they're basically ready to go right on the hinges when I'm done with that. So once that's done, it'll be uh, putting on a catch, magnetic catch on the doors and then sure. I'll be, be golden, so. And remind me, is this for all the Nat Geos? Or is this what was, it, that was what was yeah, in them? Yeah, it right? held National Geographics from the, right. the early to mid 60s when I was a kid. So I learned a lot of archaic knowledge as a child when we'd go to visit grandma and I'd have little to do other than sit out in the sun porch and read old National Geographics. Solid. Yeah. So. Sounds like a great way to spend a childhood, in my opinion. It was, actually. I I have yeah. a special place in my heart for National Geographic simply because of that. So, Yep, awesome. But you, so what are the projects you're going to start? Um, I'm starting one of the... We did a patio planter for this issue yep. of the magazine. And mm-hmm. we had... Uh, one of our shop craftsmen had put together like a prototype or misread the plans and made like a smaller version so he had all these extra staves for that and so i took those and i'm gonna do that as a as a birthday gift nice so yeah that's what i got going on john um as you guys know i'm back into that uh cabinet that we've been talking (laughs) about over the last year uh-huh. Um, hitting it pretty hard. So I can't remember if we mentioned it on the podcast last week or if I just mentioned it to you guys, but I went back and I had modeled that in Inventor, that cabinet, and I went back to see um, when I had started this project, and the date on that file was March 17th, uh, 2007, so 13 years ago. Yeah, baby. on this project so um got the drawers all put together yesterday and sprayed and working on the doors and side panels and you know the end is in sight all right so 
Cool. Yeah, so hopefully uh, nice. get this done and move on with my life. Get started on the <laughs> get started on the next long term project. You know, March of two thousand seven, I was so excited about my high school graduation coming up in three months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just saying, my um, two year old son was enjoying being an only child. At the time, <laughs> 2007. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. awesome. So three kids later after that. That might that might be the longest project I've heard of somebody working on. Other than like a boat or right. a cabin in the woods or something yeah. huge, you yeah. know? That's awesome. So, I don't know. But you know what? We were the inspiration for you to finish. Yes, it up. that's right. Or my you're, wife. You're wanting, welcome, Sarah. Wanting to sell our house and move. <laughs> <laughs> this was what has been preventing it. <laughs> so, oh, that's awesome. So I'll get it done, and then she'll want to sell the house, and somebody else will be able to enjoy this cabinet. Okay. Nice. And then you'll have to build a new one. Right. For, yeah. Right? The next house. Yeah. Think about how much you'll be able to mark up the value of the house once this cabinet's done. Right? Exactly. Right. Double, double custom, the price. Yeah. Custom furniture. Yes. Yep. So yeah, she's been looking custom at houses buildings. and it's like, oh, well, I like this house, but if we do the, if we get it, we could do this and this. And like, if we would get another house, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I did it to this house. Yeah. And look Checking where that out. got me. Right. Moving. <laughs> right. So. Uh. Yeah, you'd have so many projects for retirement. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saving all this stuff for. Right. Retirement. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Good idea. Yeah. Awesome. So Well, my my uh nightstands are let's see if I can turn my camera. Somebody asked about this the other day. Uh there's one sitting on the workbench. All right. Right now. The other one's on the floor behind the workbench. Um dovetails are all cut. Uh mitered dovetails mitered through dovetails so that was fun um they went together beautifully i was super happy with how they went together um and right now i am gluing up a bunch of pegs in them because all the miters uh have cherry pegs that kind of lock the miters together um and there's some dividers that go in between the there's cubby underneath and then a drawer above and there's a divider in there and there's a, a pair of cherry pegs that lock that divider into kind of a angled dado. Uh, so I got to get the last couple pegs installed maybe today. And then I'll be able to sand everything flush, get the divider in. And then it's just knocking out a couple drawers. So I'm looking pretty good for next week, I think. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, that project started a year ago. So that was, it was pretty good. Um, but I also spent couple of days in the shop i knocked out a hickory bowl that i had been working on um, oh, i roughed cool. it out a couple of months ago um i tried something on this one uh this is for a friend of mine it was his hickory tree actually um that we, was knocked down in the drage it was a huge huge shag bark hickory uh, it was like 39 40 inches in diameter it was massive but I wanted to bead the outside of it, so I cut all these little beads on there, and then I scorched it. Um, the problem is that the scorching did not get down in between the beads, so I'm gonna have to figure out something to do about it because I don't like the looks of it right now. So this may be a flat black milk paint finish on the outside, uh, and then just a nice inside. 
Um, and then yesterday, we were in the office for some stuff and had a little little bit of free time. So I knocked out a nice little cherry platter uh, oh, cool. over the lunch period. Yeah, so this was uh, another reason I kind of wanted to talk about finishing because I was doing some finish on this guy. So I've decided that I'm going to start selling these bad boys to hopefully fund a lathe for my shop. <laughs> so there you go. There's a lot of there's a lot of bowls and platters and stuff in my future because my wife told me if I want to buy the lathe that I want for my shop that I have to fund it myself. She's not putting up with my antics anymore. <laughs> putting so. up with your antics anymore. Yeah. So speaking so, of antics on that other bowl on the hickory bowl, were you yeah. listening to Michael Jackson when you were doing detailing the outside? I beat it. <laughs> no, I was not. <laughs> wow, Phil. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Oh, yeah, thank you for that one. No, I was not. But so yeah. But now, see, now that I'm, I've decided to start selling some of this stuff. Um, it's like, how do I decide? I know we've talked about pricing before, but like, it's like this guy, right? And there's people have formulas like Turner's have that same question like how do i price stuff so it's like a lot of guys are like oh take the diameter times the height times 2.5 and that gives you a good base price which pi be in there somewhere i feel like pi should be in there somewhere yes so maybe maybe it's diameter times height times pi pi. maybe that's what i should do but it's like like this is a nice piece of cherry i know the tree it came from it's like i don't Maybe I just list it at like, I'm not okay selling it at $60, but maybe at $100 I'm okay selling it. You know what yeah. I mean? Maybe I like it too much to sell it for less than that. I don't know. So it might be one of those. Throw it on an Etsy store and see if it sells. There you go. So, yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. It's a weird thing. So, but I'm going to go into production turner mode after I. <laughs> knock out these nightstands there you go make a bunch of tool handles in my dining room yeah yeah my dining room table chairs are just gonna wait yeah those will be the 10 year down the road project for me (laughs) there you go you gotta have one of those something to look forward to yeah yeah all right to wrap things up uh uh, podcast that we did last year following the iowa derecho logan you were talking about your emptying out your grandpa's place and all yep. of his fishing lure making supplies that yep. now reside with you. Um, in response to that, we had a reader, a gentleman by the name of Alan Eisen, who sent us a crankbait oh, that he made. Yes. And oh my God. So it's got a little cove at the top couple of hooks yep so he writes gentlemen i've enclosed a bait that i made over the pandemic it was good therapy after making a dozen four at a time i moved on the other projects i sent two to florida and two to washington state state to grandsons haven't heard any results as yet uh he's got a boat that's a block and a half away so it's easy for him to fish and he got plenty of bass strikes last summer but no fish in the boat Uh, casted the first one enough that I pulled the eye out. 
Luckily, I epoxied it back in, and all baits now are glued in solid. Uh, the bait is fashioned after a flatfish and lazy ike, and it's made out of basswood with hardware from Cabela's. So, and then he talks a little bit about this process on there. He said, it casts just fine, dives 12 to 18 inches, and wiggles like a minnow, and floats when stopped. The beauty of the bait is the excitement that I get when fish hit it, and I know it's my own creation. So... I thought that was pretty cool. This, yeah, that's cool. This is phenomenal. Like I'm, we have the USS Mark Royal right down at Todd's place still. Mm -hmm. There's like gonna be to a video that happens. Yeah. Oh yeah. So this is gonna be amazing. I'll put photos of it and uh, Al's letter up on the show notes page at woodsmith.com. So. That's just a reminder to everybody who's working on projects along with us, whether it's from Woodsmith or not, we'd love to see what you're making. You can send those to us at woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Uh, feel free also to leave any questions, comments, and smart remarks that you have on our Facebook page or on the YouTube channel where you can see what we're talking about on our podcasts. Otherwise, go to woodsmith.com slash podcast to check out this episode and all the other ones. Thanks again, everybody, for joining us for the Shop Notes podcast, and we'll see you again next week. Bye, everybody. This episode of Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Plans. You'll find nearly a 1,000 plans covering everything that you'd want to build. From furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects and jigs, and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com. 